Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. If you have your Bible, I want you to open with me to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bible. So for the last few weeks, the last two weeks, um, we, we've done a series uh, called The Biblical Worldview uh, based off of Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. And so that ended last week, but um, as I was reading and preparing for the message the last couple of days, I couldn't help but to see verses 3 through 8, and man, it was... Um, thought it was so paramount to um, to believers as it relates to the local church. And so I want to just um, carry on uh, to verses uh, 3 through 8, though we started last week in Romans 12, 1 through 2. So we'll do Romans 12, 3 uh, through 8. 3 through 8. When you're there, say amen to me. Amen. Come on, say amen to me if you're there. Amen. amen. All right. And it reads as such, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And it says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness, you may be seated. And so last week we touched on the Apostle Paul uh, in Romans 12 through 1. And he tells them this very familiar passage of scripture that we're all familiar with, where it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what Paul was saying to the Roman Gentiles who were in the church at Rome, he's writing to them from Corinth, he's saying to them, I know that you are in an environment where there are people who don't think like you think and who don't believe like you believe. But here's what I need you to do. I don't need you to copy to the pattern of the way they behave and the way they act. Don't be squeezed in by the culture that is around you. Though you're in the church, it would be easy for the world to have an influence on you and distort your mind from the godly and Christian way of thinking, So don't be conformed to what they do. Don't let culture squeeze you and box you in into looking at the issues that are facing you today and look at it from a secular worldview. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to transform your mind. I want you to go through a metamorphosis because when you got saved, not only did your heart change, but your way of thinking changed. Your mind changed. Your perspective changed. The way you see things now, you look at it through a different lens. You look at it through the lens of the Holy Spirit and through the word of God. So I need you to keep this perspective and don't be transformed by the, don't be conformed to the world. And how do you become transformed? You have to do it by 
renewing your mind. And how do I renew my mind? I renew my mind through the word of God, through studying and reading the scriptures. I renew my mind by spending time in prayer and depending on the Holy Spirit. And when I do that, I won't think like the world, but I'll think how God wants me to think. And so Paul carries on the tail end of that in verse 3, and he says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, First and foremost, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment. And what Paul is saying to them, this grace that I've been given to you, the spiritual authority that I have is given to me by grace. And the same grace that gave me spiritual authority is the same grace that states that saved me. And so what Paul understands is this fundamental principle that right behavior follows right thinking. If you're thinking right, then you'll behave right. If you're thinking wrong, then you'll behave wrong. I can tell how, how you think by the way you act. If you act crazy and you act distorted and you act like the world, then I can tell that your thinking is off. But when you see issues and you experience things in your life and you are leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer and the word, then your reaction and your response and your thoughts towards things will be completely different. You won't think like the world will. And so Paul is saying, look, you've been saved now, but here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to become an arrogant Christian just because God saved you. There is no arrogance in the body of Christ. For the simple fact that you are sitting in church today tells me that you realize that something was wrong with you. That something was off about your life and you knew that you needed help. So if you know that you need help, how can you be prideful? How can you be prideful when you know that you need help? And so Paul is not saying just walk around with your head hung down, walk around like you're nobody. Yes, you have been saved. And when you got saved, you got a new identity in Christ. You have a new identity in God. You became a new creation and a new creature. So your outlook should change. Your head should be held high. And we should have this newfound boldness that goes along with our faith. And we should have this assurance in God. And we should have these new convictions. For it says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Three and 26 says this, for the Lord will be your confidence. And yes, you should have confidence as a believer. But here's the thing. The confidence is not to be in you, but your confidence should be in God. Your confidence should always be in God and not your own ability. It doesn't matter how many years you went to school. It does not matter what you've accomplished in your life. It does not matter how much money you have in your bank account. And I'm a proponent of education. But let me tell you this. Education cannot save you. It doesn't save you. And your job does not save you no matter how far you climb the corner of success. It is by grace that you have been saved and not by your own works. Not by your own works. And so what Paul is saying to them is don't exalt yourself in your thinking, thinking that it's all about you. Don't put yourself on a pedestal because you've accomplished some sort of success and you've, you've had some achievements in your life. Don't be prideful. Don't let pride consume your heart and don't let pride consume your thinking. Don't think you are better than you really are. Don't think you're better than you really are. There is great value and wisdom in knowing that you've been saved by grace and by grace alone. It is nothing that we did to merit and earn our salvation, but it is a precious gift that God gave to us. And we are the benefactors of a grace and a gift that we didn't earn and we did not deserve. So what Paul wants them to do when he says, think, 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 using, using sober judgment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take an honest assessment of the effects that grace has had on your life. I want you to take the time to think of everything that you've done, every situation that you put yourself in, every irresponsible 
decision that you ever made, the seasons, let's be honest, the seasons of your life when you lived in intentional rebellion against God, those seasons of your life where you were in intentional disobedience, living outside of the will of God for your life, and God still gave you a second chance. That is the grace and the mercy of God that is on your life. That is the grace and the mercy of God that is on your life. And so when I think about that, and I reconcile my mind around the poor condition of my own heart. It does not merit me being arrogant about anything. And so when I remember who I used to be and I acknowledge, check this out, I acknowledge the weaknesses that I have right now. The, the weaknesses that I struggle with on a day-to-day basis right now, I realize that there is no better possession for me to have than the possession of a spiritual humility. 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 What, what does that look like? Uh, um, I have to make a proper evaluation of myself because pride is deadly. Pride is deadly. I want to show you something in the Old Testament. They may not have it for the screens, but it's in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 26, verses 4 through 5. I want to show you a picture a pride in the, in the effects, in the danger, in the detriment of being prideful. Second Chronicles chapter 26 verses 4 through 5. Second Chronicles chapter 26 verses 4 through 5. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Second Chronicles uh, 26, 4 through 5. And it's talking about King Uzziah, who was a very successful king. He was called by God. He was gifted. If anybody was gifted, it was Uzziah. And here's what it says about Uzziah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him what? Success, right? Well, here's what happens when we get successful. And he built structures on the walls of Jerusalem designed by experts to protect those who shot arrows and hurled large stones from the towers and the corners of the wall. He blowing up. Everybody know his name. He blowing up. He on all the TV shows. Everybody on social media talking about him. Everybody's tweeting about him. Everybody making posts about him. His, his record's going number one. He's got seven figures in the bank account. He's a man. He's a man on his job. He's a man at school. He's a man everywhere. Everybody looks up to him. And then it says this. His fame spread far and wide. For the Lord gave him marvelous help, and he became very powerful. And what does it say in verse 16? But when he had become powerful, he also became what? Proud, which led to his downfall. His pride led to his downfall. And that is the danger of having pride. So when God has saved you and you take an honest assessment of your life now and your past, there is no reason for you to have anything other than the spirit of humility and gratitude and thanksgiving that God saved you and didn't give you what you deserved. The problem is most of us think we deserve what we have now. But the truth of the matter is, by your sinful self alone, by your past alone, we don't deserve God's grace and his unmerited favor on our lives. We don't deserve God on our best day. But God loves us so much that he covers us and he forgives us and we've been redeemed and we have this new, uh, this new creation and this new heart and this new mind and it is by grace that we've been saved. 1 Corinthians 1 and 26 says this, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Can you remember the condition of your heart before you got saved? Can you remember where you were when God found you? Can you remember what was going on in your life at that time and the mess 
that we were all in at one point in our lives. And God, in his grace and his mercy, he saved us. And here's what you need to realize. Have confidence without conceit. Have confidence without conceit. And so why would Paul talk about this? Why would Paul set this up like this and talk about the way we should think with sober judgment and the way we should think and not think too highly of ourselves? Because he knew something that God did for each and every one of us when we got saved. It was twofold. Salvation in itself was a gift, but not only was salvation a gift, when you were born, saved, unsaved, no matter who you were born to, no matter where you were born at, God gave everybody in here a gift. Everybody in here has something special on the inside of you that you do that nobody else can do. Everybody was born with a gift and a natural ability to do something special. Whether you've discovered that yet or not remains to be seen. But everybody in here can do something that no one else can do. There's something on the inside of you that your neighbor can't do. Some of us are good at other, some, some of us are good at things, uh, better, better at things than other people. Some of us are, are good accountants. Some of us are engineers. Some of us can look at a math equation and, 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 and calculate it in our heads. I can't do that. I use my fingers to count to ten. I, I can't. I, I need to use the scratch out with with the pencil, and I need to add everything. I can't do math. I know that. That's not my specialty. I wasn't graced with the gift to do math and look at numbers. I don't have any sense of direction. Some people don't need MapQuest. I need MapQuest. I need the Google Map on my. I need every. I get lost. Sometimes I don't remember how to get out of my own community, and I've been living there for. For a couple years, I, I have no sense of direction, but some people have a sense of awareness and, and, and you can be dropped off in a place and you know how to get from point A to point B. Some people are gifted to do certain things that other people are not gifted to do. And so Paul realizes if God gives some of them a gift, if some of them have a gift and they realize that they have this gift and they become good at exercising this gift then they could become arrogant and think it's about them and not think, about, not think that it was from God that the gift came. And so he says, don't think more highly than you ought to. And he goes on to say, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. What Paul is talking about here is the church. Oftentimes in the New Testament, the church is referred to as the body of Christ. You see, the church is not the building per se, but the church is the people who have gathered together. The church is just a community of people who are in a covenant relationship with God. And so on God's side of the covenant, you see, there's a difference between a covenant and a contract. A contract, one of us break it, it's over. We broke the contract. But a covenant says this, no matter what you do, I'm still hanging in there with you. No matter how far you go away, I'm still going to be here when you come back. That's God's covenant towards us. Whether we break it or not, when we come into this fellowship, this relationship with the Lord Jesus, he doesn't he keeps his end of the bargain every time, whether we break it or not. And God loves us so much to keep his covenant with us. And what is God's covenant for his people? God promises to save us, to protect us, and to bless us. What does he want from us in return? God just wants us to believe him. He wants us to worship him. And most importantly, God wants us, wants us to obey him. And so we live in a culture where people say stuff like this. I love Jesus. I just don't do church. I love Jesus. I just don't do church. 
Um, I have a fundamental problem with this. Um, if you marry, just raise, wave your hand. If you're a married male, if you're a married man, raise, raise your hand. If you're a married man, okay, okay, okay. A lot, a lot of guys' hands are raised. Okay, let, let me, let me, let me say this. You and I become friends. Married men, you and I become friends, right? We boys. We down for each other. We, 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 we hang out. We kick it. And then I say one day, I don't like your wife. I have a hard time believing that if you don't like my wife, that I'm still going to be able to be friends with you. Because if you don't like my wife, you don't like me. Our friendship is over. And so when you're walking around talking about you love Jesus, but you don't like the church, what you're saying is, Jesus, I love you, but I hate your wife. Because what the church is called is the bride of Christ. So you can't have one without the other. It is a package deal. If you don't like my wife, then you can't have me. You can't have me if you don't like my wife. So I know culture told you you can be saved. I'm spiritual. I just don't do church. Well, that is oxymoronic. You can't be one and not the other. You can't be one and not the other. And so you are misguided in your thinking if you believe that you somehow been afforded an exemption by God not to be a part of the local church. Because here's the stark reality. No one can grow to maturity in isolation. You can't grow up if you by yourself. Who's going to speak the word of God to you? Are you going to study all by yourself at all times? Who's going to pray with you? Who can speak into your life when you have a season when you are down? Who can call you on the carpet and correct you when your head has got too big? You cannot live this life as a Christian by yourself. To say you are a Christian outside of the body of Christ is just inaccurate. And that is worldly cultural thinking. I'm spiritual, but I don't do church. My answer to that is always this. Which is a spiritual? What makes you different? So don't keep saying that. I, 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 I love Jesus. I just don't do the church. If they get your order wrong at McDonald's, you still go back next week. They bring your order out wrong at Chili's. A month later, you still at Chili's. And you give them another chance. But when it comes to the church, oh, no, I can't do church because um, somebody didn't speak to me when I thought they should have spoke to me. But how can you have that expectation of the church when we're all made up of imperfect people? So why do we come into the house of God expecting perfection? Why do we think that? So here's what it says. Um, In in Ephesians 4 and 16, I'll read it to you. Ephesians 4 and 16, it says this. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We don't just belong to Christ, but we belong to each other. And we all need each other in the body of Christ. And here's the thing. Each one of us has a special gift that has been endowed by by God to us. And it is our responsibility. Don't miss this point. It is our responsibility to find out what that gift is that God has given you. It is the believer's responsibility to find and discover that gift because your, your purpose is not picked. Your purpose is discovered. Your purpose is not picked. You don't just pick, oh, I want to be this. God gives it to you, but it's your responsibility to figure out what that special purpose that God has given you, what that is. It is your job and your responsibility to find out what that is. And then when you find out what the gift is, your gift and your talent is for the local church and it's to glorify God. It is for the church, and it's for, and it's for us to glorify God. And here's this whole thing about gifts. Gifts, the charismata, charis, the Greek word, grace gifts. The gifts are given by God to the people of God 
for the glory of God. And here's what we have to do with our gifts. We have to steward our gifts properly. When you figure out what God has called you to do, you have to steward that gift and treat the gift as a gift. You have to take care of the thing that God put on the inside of you. And it always flips me out when somebody can have a gift and they don't do anything to cultivate that gift, to get better at it. If you, let's just say you are, um, uh, you are a computer scientist, whatever that is. I don't even know what that is, right? So, so let's say computer science is your thing. If y'all, y'all can't tell, I am not technical at all. Like, I'm, I'm archaic as archaic can get. Listen, so if, you are, if computers are your things and computer science is your thing, you should be training yourself to learn everything it is about computer science. Because when you're humble and you realize that God has given you a gift, you never stop learning. You never stop practicing. You never stop cultivating the gift that God has given you. If God has called you to do a certain thing, you should know everything there is to know about it. You should be reading. You should be learning. You should find a mentor. You should be doing everything you can to make sure the gift that God has given you is working at an optimal level. That is not, that's not God's job. It is your job to find and discover and to cultivate whatever it is that God has placed on the inside of you. And here's the thing. We can see uh, somebody on the side of the we can see somebody on the side of the road, right? We can see um, a, a homeless person on the side of the road. And sometimes we see these stories where uh, every now and then you find this, find, this, find this homeless person who's down and out, and you realize they have this tremendous voice to sing. Like they can sing, or they have this special gift to do something. They, they have this gift where they can do something. It's like, well, why, what happened to them? Why aren't they famous? And then sometimes we can think, um, they wasting that gift. Why didn't God give that gift to somebody else? Why didn't God give this? Look at him. He could have been one of the greatest football players ever. He, he dropped out of school. He had this scholarship. God graced him to run with that football. God graced him to, 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 do, to do great things in the athletic arena. God, God gave him this grace and this special gift, and he just blew it. He just blew it. I wish God would just take it. Why, why would God waste that gift on anybody? What, what is he doing with that gift? Look at him. He's six foot five and can't dunk. Look at him. He's six foot five. I wish I could have been that tall. But here's the thing. When God gives gifts, Romans eleven twenty nine gives us the proper perspective on gifts. And it says this in the Message Bible. And this, this is so beautiful. This, blow, this will blow your mind. God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty, never counseled and never rescinded. When God gives you a gift, he can't take it back. The gifts are without repentance. It's up to you what you do with the gift. You see, some, some people are graced with this gift to sing, and they'll go out in the world, in the world system, and they'll become famous, and they'll use their gift for the world. Some of us have a gift, and we use our gift for the church. But it's all up to you what you do with your gift, because God has given everybody a gift. Let, let me make this. Um, can you, Vanna White, can you please bring me my, um, bring me my, um, bring Bring, bring me my gift. Um, um, yes, I want, them, I want them all. Can you um, bring me um, my gifts? Um, can somebody help me bring an outlet closer to me? Somebody, somebody help me with an outlet. Thank you, Vanna White. All right. Okay. All right. So I have some gifts here. And so I am, I am playing the role um, of the gift giver. Um, come, come here, Herb. 
I'm, I want to bless you real good. And so, Gino, you, you get down there. I want, to give you, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you a gift. And so, um, uh, Emmanuel, come here, sir. I want to give you a gift. Um, and so this is birth. This is birth. Now, remember, who has, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm playing the role of God for all intents and purposes today. I'm playing the role of God. So who am I? Okay, I'm God. I'm the, I'm the gift giver. All right? You get it? I'm the gift giver. I'm God. So um, let me bless you real good, sir. This gift. Uh, what does it say? What does it say? This is your birthday. You, this is your, the day of your birth. What does that say? Tons of That's what your mom said when you were born. Tons of cuteness, right? All right. Tons of cuteness. Um, her, this is your birthday. Happy, happy, this is the day you were born. Happy birthday. Um, Emmanuel, here. Here, here. Now everybody's got a gift from the gift giver, right? Okay. So everybody got a different gift. So um, let's see here. Um, in order, see, see, they have the gifts in their hands, but in order to know what's in there, they got to dig through the paper and discover what's in the bag in the gift, right? So, so Emmanuel, why don't you discover what your purpose and your gift is? Why don't you discover it? Let let let, let the people see what God graced you and gifted you with. A wire? That's all you got? That's a whack gift. Like, man, you don't have your gift not important. Your gift not important. Your gift not important. Gino, let me see what your gift is, bro. Let me see what your gift is. I know God blessed you. I can just tell by by your swagger that you got a you got a gift. What is that? What is that? Who is that? It's it's, it's called an album. <laughs> Lift it up and let the people see, let them see. Let them see the front of it. Let them see the front of it. The, I, that's, that's a group called the Isley Brothers. Okay, that's a good. That's a collector's item. That's a collector's item. That's valuable, right? That's valuable. Go ahead and do it. Make it do. Play with it. Let me sh- play. Play a gift. Do something. You, you can't. You got no. You got nothing to do with it. Okay. So your gift is useless by itself. Do something with the cord. What you gonna do with it? <laughs> Don't work like that. Herb, let's see what God gifted you with when you were born. Let's see. What did he discover your gift? Ooh, hey, that's nice and shiny. What is that? A case. You, oh my God, these young people. I should have got somebody older. He said it's a briefcase. That's called a record player. So, so, so open, open it up for me. Open it up. Make it work. Why can't you make it work? You need something else to go along with it. So by, even though it's nice and shiny and it's a valuable gift, it doesn't work by itself. Okay. So, so let's, 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 let's see if we can... Put this together, church. Okay, so, so one, y'all come over here. Come here, come here. Come here, come here, brother. Come here, reverend. All right. Come here, brother. Okay. Let's see your gift. At, come on. Come on up here. All right, all right. Let's see your gift. Okay. All right, all right. That's cool. That works. All right. Now let's see your gift here. Let's see. Because you need him. Because you guys are connected to one another. And without him, you can't work. So I don't care how shiny and nice it is. I don't care how many people say, ooh and ah, your gift is pointless by itself. Okay? So sit it down. Sit it down. All right. All right. All right. Your gift is a collector's item. 
But it doesn't matter if it's a collector's item because you can't do nothing with it by itself. So you need his gift and you need his gift to put on there. All right. So now all of them are are working together. And, um, you know, the funny thing is, though both of these gifts are nice and shiny and this is a collector's edition and this one's nice and shiny and expensive and his looks scrawny and weak and, and nobody even pays attention to it. And you can't even see it up here on the stage without his gift. These two can't work. His gift actually is more important than the other two because this is where they get the power to plug into it. And sometimes the roles that are behind the scenes are diminished, but actually they're most valuable and most important. And so when we put it together, oh, yeah, we put it together. Oh, yeah, we put it together. It all works together. And some of y'all moves are changing. But it had to happen when all of us worked together. Uh Uh-huh. Nothing. We're in church. We're in church. Stop it. Stop it. And so that's how it all works together. God has given everybody in here a gift. Everybody in here is gifted, but we can't do it apart from each other. So we can't take this arrogant, haughty mentality into the body, but we have to work together in unison. And when we work together in unison, we can change the world. Things can change. Kingdoms can be destroyed. And we can build up the kingdom of God when we work together, because when we work together, we make beautiful music. We make beautiful music. So there is no place for arrogance in the kingdom of God. And so he says this, if your gift is to prophesy, prophesy in proportion to your faith. Speak the word of God, whatever God has given it to you, speak it and speak it with boldness. If it's in serving, then serve to the best of your ability wherever the body of Christ needs you to fit in. Just fit in and do it with the best of your ability. It says this in Matthew 28 and 20. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. To the one who teaches, let him teach to the best of his ability. To the one who exhorts in exhortation, exhort people, encourage people, lift up people who've who've been downtrodden and who've been cast out as a body, as a member of the body of Christ. Lift somebody up. Be encouraging. If your gift is exhortation, then continue to exhort people and admonish them and strengthen up the body of Christ. The one who contributes, do it in generosity. If you like to give, give all that you have. Give everything that God has called you to give. It is a gift to walk into the body of Christ and say, yes, I want to be a part of this. Yes, I want to contribute. Yes, I want to give what I have. I can give it to somebody else. To those who lead, do it with zeal. Take it serious. Be a leader with diligence. Do everything you can as unto the Lord. And so says this, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in his book, Life Together, a ministry of holding one's tongue, meekness, listening, helping, bearing burdens. Yes. And also speaking the truth when it is needed. We all Need each other. The greatest example of service and humility uh, was this. Jesus. He was the greatest example. And I want to turn your attention to Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. It says this. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But here's what Jesus did. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And here's what I love about the text. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believer, unbeliever. The dead in Christ who have already passed away, those who will be here when he returns, those who never bowed their knees to Jesus or acknowledged him. I don't care what religion you came from. When he returns and Jesus Christ the sky, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He was the only God. He was the true God and he was the living God. And whether you believed it or not or confessed it or not, everybody and every knee will bow when he returns. And so the only option that we have is this, either get down or lay down. Regardless of whether you acknowledge him or not, there will come a point and a time when everybody, everybody that's ever been born, angels, demons, and the like, will have to bow at the precious name of Jesus. Whether society or culture agrees with it or not, they got to bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. My most my my favorite scripture in the Bible is John 14 and six. And he says this. I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes through the father except through me. You can't get to heaven aside from a relationship with Jesus. You don't have eternal life with anybody, with the Father, except through Jesus. He is the name by which men must be saved. And so today, if you are outside of the body of Christ, God is calling you to be a part of his body. You see, Jesus humbled himself. He was always God. He was God in the beginning. He'll be God at the end. But he took a moment for a season to come down and get on our level. And he said, they can't do it by themselves. So I'm going to humble myself and I'm not going to let them take me. I'm going to give it up for my children because they need a savior. And he willingly, willingly submitted to the will of his father. And he hung on that cross. And face the humiliation that none of us will ever have to face on our behalf. He literally died a sinner's death for you and I. He was not guilty. We were guilty. He walked into the courtroom and said, no, judge, no, father, give me the penalty. And he took that penalty for you and I. And the result of that is this. We have this gift that he wants to give us called the gift of salvation. And all you have to do is believe it and receive it. That's it. (laughs) That's it. Why people don't accept it, I have no idea. But whatever you're holding on to, 
pales in comparison to that which comes when a covered relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It pales in comparison. No relationship, no amount of money, no job, no, no degree or educational pursuit will ever hold the same value as being in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. So this morning, wherever you are in your life, here's the thing, the misconception. God doesn't need you to be perfect to come into the relationship with him. You can't fix yourself. Ayala can't fix your life. Your life going to stay broke. But it's only when you come into a relationship with Jesus that healing comes, that peace comes, that salvation comes, that joy comes, that being in your right mind comes, that not worrying about everything comes, where true blessing comes, where true wealth comes. It comes in the relationship with the Lord Jesus. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.